0: If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The book of 1 Corinthians is full of what we affectionately call admonitions. And in the church, the word admonition has kind of drawn a negative connotation. It almost comes with, okay, I'm going to get a beat down. But that is not actually what the word means in the original language. And it's not actually what it means in English. It's actually a friendly warning that is said in such a way as to accomplish its task. In other words, when you're given an admonition, it is generally from someone who actually cares about you. It's not said to hurt, it's not said to harm. It could very definitely warn, but it's warning because the person given the warning is in danger and the person who is giving the warning realizes that and wants to do something to help. And so our passage tonight is an admonition. It's come to the people in Corinth, the believers in Corinth, and we're told the exact purpose for which it comes by the time we finish these first 11 verses here in chapter 10. I want you to begin by noting something as the Apostle Paul uses the children of Israel as this chief example of people who failed to learn from their past. Learning from our past is so monumentally important to us as believers because it's there that the Lord can take our B.C. days, our before Christ experiences, and say, this is what you should not do. This is how you should not live. These are the things that got you into trouble before, And it would be very wise if you do not repeat them. Amen? So let me give you a little pointer here. Whenever you can learn from someone else's mistakes, is that better than learning from your own? Amen. Amen. It is. I mean, if you don't have to get in a car accident to know what a car accident is like, you, you can understand that that car accident was caused by inattention because someone was texting You can immediately, from their bad experience, you can learn that you probably don't have a text that's so important to cost someone their life. Amen? This is a text that can cost someone their life. It's something we should learn from. And I want you to look how the Apostle Paul uses the word all here in these first five verses. And would you pray with me now as we honor the Lord by reading his word. Father, we thank you that your word is truth. And, Lord, this example set before us, your people, your children, Israel. God, would you help us to understand and learn uh, from their experience in the wilderness. Lord, help us to never repeat it. Lord, help us to believe what is said here. Cause us to walk in righteousness. As we learn from you tonight, would your spirit be present to interpret and to convict and convince, in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 10, we'll take the first five and then we'll finish the rest of the verses throughout the study. Moreover, brethren, so who's he talking to? Anytime the word brethren is used, that's brothers and sisters in Christ, that's believers, amen? Always remind yourself, because sometimes we can become numb to the context of the passage, we skip right over the brethren, So anytime it says brethren, you could put your name in there. Jeff. Moreover, Jeff, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, all drank from the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ but with most of them and underline that part. You see the whole preface here is God was universally good to all of the children of Israel. But most of them God was not well pleased. And as proof of it their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Pretty sobering, isn't it? You see what this presents is a drastic lack of spiritual maturity. What this represents is people failing to learn from their past. What this states to me personally Is a radical overconfidence in the good things that they had received, not believing that God was just. What it represents to me is a complete and total lack of self-discipline. This is an incredible passage when you read it, as long as you're doing what the Lord's asking you to do. But if you're one of those people that plays with sin... If you're one of those people who can't stay on track, if you're one of those people who take the goodness of the Lord and then spit on the grace of God, if you're one of those people, this passage should scare you. This passage should scare you. Because the character, the nature of God, his holiness has not changed. He he doesn't have a new way of thinking here in our New Testament times. He's still the same God. And the children of Israel were in the wilderness because they refused to believe God. Because we know what they did. The first 14 chapters of the book of Exodus give us the story. We know how blessed they were. We know what they experienced. We know a ton of history about the Jewish people. And so they failed to learn from it and consequently they repeated it over and over and over and over again. They, they, they probably are the ones who transmitted uh, to Albert Einstein his definition of insanity. It's doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Amen? There are a lot of Christians that do that. They go back to the same vomit, they go back to the same bar, they go back to the same relationship, they go back to the same drugs, they go back to the same thievery, they go back to the same language, they go back to the same thing, and they expect a different result. It's as if we believe sometimes that God's character is going to change because the times have changed. Or because I had some bad experience in life, and so God's just going to ignore my sin not so. In chapter 9, Paul has been describing his own self-discipline. Remember, he's running the race there. So we finished up last time. There's a part of running the race that we all need to acknowledge, and that's in order to not be disqualified, you've got to stay in your lane, amen? If you're in a track and field event, specifically if you're any type of a track event, you were assigned a lane, there is a stagger that's set up at the beginning of every race, so it doesn't matter unless it's the 100 or the 200 where they're a straight line and there's no uh, curve involved, even though there's a curve usually on the 200 anymore. It's around the back side. But in the 100, you're in a straight straight race. But everything else, there's a stagger. The blocks are a little bit offset to make up the distance of the curve. It all ends up even at the finish line. But you can't start in lane three and dash over to lane one because you would be cheating. You would instantaneously have an advantage over all of the rest of the runners. So you will be disqualified for getting out of your lane. The same is true for the baton handoff. There is a slot that's allotted on the track The handoff has to happen inside of that slot. If you pass over it, you are disqualified. You have to stay in your lane. You must run by the rules. The Apostle Paul is now going to address that with the children of Israel. He said, you guys wanted to run your own race. You wanted to do your own thing. You wanted to grumble. You wanted to complain. And consequently, you disqualified yourself. You see, there's a reason that the Christian life... Uh, is a struggle, because it's a Christian life. And this world is not our home. And we have very real enemies, the world, our own flesh, and the devil. And so this life here on earth is a struggle, and it is absolutely essential that we stay in our lanes. We have to run the race that God's called us to run. You see, just like some in Corinth, just like the ancient Israelites, and just like many today, they thought because they professed faith, they thought because they attended synagogue or church, they thought because they had a heritage of ten generations of believing people, they thought that because their aunt's uncle's cousin's dog was actually saved, they thought because they had the right version of the scriptures, they thought a lot of things, they thought those things were going to make them okay with God. What makes you okay with God is running in your lane. The race set before you. Staying where God's placed you. And and being bold enough to not veer out of your lane. Not cheating in other words. And to that end, the apostle now gives us a bit of history about the children of Israel. And in that sense, they're a a perfect example of this false notion that you're saved by spiritual history. Or you're saved by your parents' church attendance. Or you're saved so that you can sin. You see, there's a lot of Christians that think that grace, because it's free, is also tawdry and cheap and they can live however they want. You were bought and paid for with the price, and the price of that was God's own son and his blood. And so as children of God, we are to honor the Lord in all that we do, and all that we think. Every step we take, every race that we run, is supposed to be to his honor and glory. And so you are not able to live a godless life. You can't live an existence that's apart from God because you've been saved by grace. That is an abuse of grace. And so the apostle Paul is now going to speak to that issue. And he does so by calling out the chosen people, Israel. And so if you read those chapters, the first 14, they're in the book of Exodus. You're going to find that they were taken through the Red Sea. They were baptized. And once they were all baptized, they were, lead, leaded, they, they were led, and they were guided by, rather, one guy, whose name was Moses. They had a leader. you 're going to find that they never thirsted because the rock gave them to drink. you 're going to find that they never went hungry because bread fell from heaven you're going to find that they were a picture of God's grace being poured out upon them. That's what you're going to find. But you're also going to find that they abused the grace of God. You're going to find that even though their their guide was God himself, he stood before them as a pillar of fire in the nighttime and a cloud during the daytime. And when the pillar went, they went. They went. God literally went before them. And yet they turned to a party lifestyle. They ended up doing the very things that they were told not to do. And they longed for the things that they had been delivered from. Hear me well. They longed for the things they had been delivered from. Oh, that we could go back to Egypt. We had wonderful pots of boiling meat. We had leeks and onions by the bushel full. Do you remember what they complained about first when they were there? We have to eat leeks and onions. Isn't it funny when you remember your past that somehow the vomit of your past looks like something good through the eyes of the enemy. The devil feeds you the lie that that history you had was something you should bemoan losing. Oh man, when I used to go to the bar, that was awesome. You forget about hugging the porcelain pony, amen? You forget about the days when you laid in the yard and the sprinklers came on and you didn't know it. I can see some of you were there. <laughs> oh, you think about the days when, man, it was just so cool because we just used to sit around and we did our own thing and nobody bothered us and we didn't work and mom and dad paid for our gas. You see, you start to ache for Egypt. Egypt. That was the children of Israel. That was their actual history. Their actual history was they made bricks day in and day out with mud, with no straw. That was their real history. Thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of them actually died in Egypt from maltreatment. God delivers them. And they whine in the wilderness about what they had when they were being abused. Anybody in here hearing about your past? Anybody in here been thinking about, you know, that old boyfriend, that old girlfriend? The glory days? That's why I love the movie Napoleon Dynamite. I can throw that football over those mountains. (laughs) Uncle Rico, right? You know what I'm saying. In his mind, I could have turned pro. What everybody else saw was, you ain't nothing. Right? But the enemy says, oh, I could have been pro. Be careful. Because God will let you taste what you yearn for. He won't stop you from going back to Egypt. Can I also remind you that God is always good. He's always good. He's always freeing his people. He's always taking people out of bondage. He's always feeding them in the wilderness. He is always, notice the alls here. Depending on what version you have, there's five or six of them. All of them. Can we safely say that there were some people in that group that didn't deserve to be delivered? I didn't deserve to be delivered. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it's the grace of God that saved me. God delivered me out of Egypt. You, you see, we get in a situation where we look at what's happened in mass and we think that because it happened in mass, God just overlooks our individuality. He's been good to our country, family. He's been incredibly good to our country. There is no place like this place on the face of the earth. Are there places, you know, that you might say, well, that's more beautiful? I suppose. Having traveled as much as I have, I can tell you this is also one of the most beautiful places on the planet. We have more prosperity here than anywhere else in the rest of the world. God's been good to us. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? How are we treating our fellow man? Are we concerned for others or are we just concerned for ourselves? You see, they got really concerned for themselves and they stopped caring about what was happening to everybody else. It's like, I just want what I want. That is a recipe for disaster because it leads to unthankfulness. It, it leads you down a path of looking at what you have and bemoaning what you have because somebody else has something you don't have. That would be one of the Ten Commandments. Do not covet thy neighbor's wife or thy neighbor's donkey. That would be a car. (laughs) Thy neighbor's goods. (laughs) You you see, we start to forget that God was good to all of us because we're comparing what we have to what somebody else has, and we start thinking about the way it was. We start singing Barbra Streisand songs. The way we were. Memories. You know what I'm saying. We start watching the reruns of Cats over and over again. You, You see, what happens to us is then we get desensitized to the goodness of the Lord today. We forget he's good right now. You know how I know he's not good? He doesn't kill me. He doesn't kill me. His mercy and grace are on my life. And somehow this wretch gets to go to heaven. You see, I start to forget that part and I worry that someone else has an Audi R8. Someone else has an ocean view. Someone else gets the bigger ribeye. You know, we start worrying about the wrong things, right? Right? Instead of concerning ourselves with the grace of God, with the mercy of God, with the kindness of God, we concern ourselves with things that ultimately do not matter. God had performed incredible miracles for all of his people. He had seen them set free from absolute abject poverty and bondage. And now they're going, oh, if we could just go back. He he had baptized them through the sea. You talk about a nuts thing. I don't know about you, but walking out to the, you know, out on the pier at Redondo and going, okay, just divide it. I'm pretty sure I would have remembered that event, amen? I'm out in the wilderness, I'm thinking, well, you know, how did we get here? God split the Red Sea. I've seen the Red Sea. That ain't no short walk across there. You you see, they forgot that. They forgot that God was good. Brothers and sisters, don't forget that God is good. But don't mistake his goodness for approval for your ungodly living. He sees it. And in his time, he may just deal with it. They had food. They had drink. They had everything they could ask for. Yes, they, they didn't have what they thought they wanted and needed. In essence, they failed to learn from their past. And so they began to repeat it the very things that led them to bondage in Egypt in the first place came back into their lives. And while I think it's inappropriate to make a direct correlation between these events and salvation, I can tell you it's absolutely appropriate to make the correlation between these events and living an abundant life to getting into the promised land, your Canaan, your abundant life in Christ. If you want an abundant life in Christ you have to learn from your past what were some of those lessons that they learned in the wilderness the first one that you can easily see is they failed to learn from their past amen and you will be doomed to repeat it if you don't learn from it if you're not paying attention don't be surprised if you step right back into the same trap I had a friend when I was growing up, and his dad had come from Wisconsin, and when they had come out from Wisconsin, they brought with them a whole bunch of traps. Now, just so you know, I am not for trapping animals. I hate traps. I don't like them. But nonetheless, he had some, and for teenage boys to have a box of spring steel traps in the garage is kind of like a magnet, okay? It's like how do these things work so we're over there we're stepping on and we're setting these things and putting the latch down and they're they're frightening because when they snap closed it's like they can take the leg off of small animals so we set one of these things up and we're joking around and and as we're sitting in the garage my friend grabs a broomstick and sticks it in there and snap the handle of the broomstick right off we thought well that's cool So we set the trap again, put it off to the side, went around, and my friend stepped in the trap. Now, fortunately, when he stepped in it, he stepped in just the right place to where it clamped around the sole of his shoe. But his foot was being crushed. And so he was also blocking the one spot that you needed to stand on to get the trap back open. My point is this. If you don't recognize what's happened in the past, if you're not aware of it, you might step in it, and you may step in the wrong place so that it's much harder to get your foot out of the trap the second time than it was when you first had it set. Be careful. Because sometimes we set our own traps, don't we? By the people that we hang out with, by the places that we go, by the habits that we refuse to forsake. You see, we're quick to get on the Israelites for the dumb things they did, but we forget about the dumb things that we do. In Jesus' name, don't do that. It's dangerous. You see, that lack of faith can be fatal. It can be fatal for you. It can be fatal for your family. It can be fatal for your friends, your neighbors, and your nation. We have been called to be a holy people with an undivided heart towards God. And when we do that, then we are the transformers. We we literally can change our world. But when we don't, we're actually worse than the people that are lost in this world because we know the truth and we won't do it. Don't, don't be in that category. We should never desire what God has called evil. One of the things that's a constant burden of my heart is when people say, I know. I know. I know. What are you doing there? Well, I know it's not right. Why are you engaging in that behavior? Well, I know. When you know and you do it anyway, that is especially deadly. That's a good way to get a good old fashioned whooping from God, okay? Just saying he's got a woodshed and you can go to it. <laughs> I've taken a few beat downs from God and they're not fun. When we rebel against him, when we give in to those cravings, when we do what we're not supposed to do exactly as the the writer James was write, would write to the church. He says, look, don't, don't tempt God. Don't be tempted by evil. And when you do, you better run. When you, when you rebel against the Lord that way, you're putting yourself in harm's way because he loves us. He chastens those whom he loves the writer of Hebrews was clear on this, like, look, if you want a spanking, you can get one. And here's what happens. When you begin to live that way, you come between yourself and God. Your sin stands in the way. It gets between you and God. And in that sense, you actually do it to yourself. People wonder, why. I don't know why I can't hear God's voice. I don't know why the word doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why my Christian friends are like they're speaking a foreign language. Then you get to that sin issue in their life and it's like they have desired things that God doesn't want for them and their mind is occupied with the things of this world and they can't hear God. Don't let that be you. Those are wilderness lessons. They failed to learn from their past. Notice verse 6. And now these things became our examples. Would you underline that? To the intent that we should not lust after the evil things as they also lusted. There's your proof text. What did they lust after? Verse 7. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. You're immediately thinking to yourself, well, I don't have any idols in my house, no graven images. I don't, you know, I don't have a Buddha or any, you know, I don't have anything in my house that would be the modern equivalent. And yeah, that's probably true. Though there might be some of you in here who actually have some kind of graven image, some carved idol. Maybe you don't bow down to it, but how many of us have idols of another flavor? Wealth. Quite a few Christians that have that idol or prosperity, passion, power, or just plain old possessions. You you see, be careful when you dismiss Old Testament words like idolaters because you don't have a goddess Diana on your mantle. Because you don't have an Asheroth pole in your living room. But you do have a 75 inch big screen. And instead of being in front of the Lord, you're in front of the tube. And I'm not anti television. We've got one, and it's not quite that big, it's good size. But it can become an idol. If you can't turn it off and it turns you on, you got a problem. We need to be careful. I want you to know what follows. In Exodus 32, which is where this comes from, Exodus 32 is where this quotation comes from that's found here in verse 7. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Here's the rest of it. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We would call that a party lifestyle. We would call that indulging in the flesh. Can I simply tell you Jesus don't twerk? Amen? And yet, I've had Christians tell me, well, I go to this club. It's not that bad. Most of the people aren't that drunk. These are exact words, by the way. Most everybody's kind of, sort of, not that bad off. Well, I don't do those things. dangerous place. It's a dangerous place because the children of Israel did these things and they died in the wilderness. You see, the picture here is very clear. Any part of your life that promotes sexual immorality is not from the Lord. That's magazines, television, internet, That is what you read, that's what you see, that's where you go, that's what you do. Anything that promotes immorality in your life is not from the Lord. Anything. Now, I'm not telling you as a legalist that I'm putting some heavy weight on you. I'm telling you God's not okay with it. So you can either believe what God's word says and do it, Or you can put yourself in danger of having happened to you exactly what happened to the children of Israel. God still loved them as his chosen people, but they died apart from abundant life. They died in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness. You see, we've begun to believe the things that we're told in the world, and it's dangerous, it can be fatal. Verse 8 says, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, mark it under. You think God isn't serious about this? In one day, 23,000 fell. Now, we've had some horrific battles. One of the greatest One of the most costly battles that's ever been fought in any war by this nation was the Battle of Gettysburg. And in three days, a little over 62,000 men died on the battlefield. That's about what died in one day here. Take those three days, divide it. That's unbelievable carnage. It took over 12 weeks to bury the dead. God's speaking to us. Remember, what is this? It's an admonition. It was given as an example. So when we encourage people to, ah, don't worry about it. Pastor Jeff, he's just trying to kill your fun. No, I love you dearly. And I'd rather t- ha- tell you the truth and have you hate my guts. I'm deadly serious on this. I'd rather tell you the truth and have you hate my guts than tell you a lie and you die in the wilderness. You see, they continued, they walked in it. They thought God was kidding. Dr. Brendan Zek, who's a professor, professor of sociology, wrote an article last year. He said, the ancients just didn't know what we now know. We now know that genetics is the reason people are promiscuous, homosexual, polygamous, polyamorous, and hedonistic. It's just all in our chemistry. that is exactly what is being taught in our colleges today actually in high school make no mistake that is a lie from the pit of hell because it's not genetics it's the sin that wars within us and it's us not resisting that sin it's either that or the entire Bible is a lie because God's word says he can't be tempted by sin and he tempts no one so if he made you with DNA that was incapable of fleeing sin then he's a liar predisposition is not predetermination did you hear me predisposition is not predetermination because someone is predisposed to do something does not make them do it we're about to get to the next passage that says there is no temptation but that which is common to man and in it is a way of escape so God either tells the truth or he's a liar I believe he tells the truth Immorality destroys lives. Sexual sin is powerful. It actually is mind altering. There are a number of hormonal chemicals that are released, oxytocin being one of them, vasopressin being another. Those two chemicals are extremely powerful. God knew that. That's why He says, you know, you need to keep that to married couples. Otherwise, it will control your life. So he says, don't do it. That's why God has so many laws about sexual sin. Have you ever thought about that? You know, a lot of people go, man, God must have been a pervert. Serious. I've had people actually say that to me. Everything's about sex this and sex that. No, it's real. It's the human condition. He's created us that way. And so he's a good God. So he says, look, I want you to know what this is. So here's the deal. Here's where we're confining this. Can you imagine why God would need to give instructions to probably around 2 million people who went camping together? They were at Woodstock for 40 years. Serious as a heart attack. Think about it. They're camping in the wilderness. It's not like they all had nice homes that they could go home to. They were behind every rock and bush and tree. Don't you think they might need a little bit of instruction on this area? So God gave them instruction. And he didn't listen. And they died in the wilderness. It's God first or expect the worst. Now I know this is heavy. But I think it's also important. You you see, when you think on these these verses, notice, nor let us tempt Christ, verse 9, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Story of the bronze serpent right here. God said, look and live. I want you to raise up in the encampment of the children of Israel a bronze serpent And I want you to put it on the staff and the only thing that I'm asking people to do is look on it by faith and they'll be saved. Look and live. But if you won't look, if you won't have faith, if you continue to do things your way, then you're going to die. Paul understood this. He understood the need to go to the spiritual rock, which is Christ. Paul understood that money and fame and work and pleasure can become God's to us today. God writing through the work of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life, fully understood you have a personal identity and no two of us in this room are the same. So he gave us immutable laws of morality and conduct So that we'd know what to do. We can tell what our gods are. We can tell what our gods are by the amount of time that we devote to them, by the amount of effort that we put towards them, by the amount of resources that we dedicate to their existence in our lives. that's the truth you want to know what your God is it's where you spend your time your talent and your treasure that's your God It's why Jesus said where your treasure is there your heart shall be also you see God wants first place in our lives he doesn't want second so we're not to tempt him He's given us manna, we're not to tempt him. He's given us living water, we're not to tempt him. He's delivered us from sin, we're not to tempt him. He's brought us out of bondage, we're not to tempt the Lord. How? By looking back at Egypt. By doing what Lot's wife did. There's a reason Lot's wife turned back and looked at Sodom because she longed, she ached for the things that they had in Saddam. It cost her. Don't, don't. Don't turn and look. Don't go back there. So very often, some of the worst misery that I see in people's lives is when they've been delivered from something and they return to it. That's why scripture says, it's better that you did not know than to know and to return. You see, you don't want to go there. What's the Lord speaking to us in these final couple of verses? He says in verse 10, nor complain. <laughs> Anybody in here a whiner for Jesus. I think we're all guilty at times of complaining. I did not plan that and didn't pay him. That's a God-ordained squeal right there. Thank you, Jesus. You can't buy things like that. We are, aren't we? Isn't that what happens to us? We get rolling in our lives for the Lord, and all of a sudden, like, Lord... I don't know if you guys say it that way, but that's my voice. It's like, Lord, come on. It's like, you did this in someone else's life. I want some. Don't complain to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Be thankful to the Lord. Rejoice in the good things that he has done. That his mercy endures forever. That not a day goes by that he isn't thinking about you. That his plans for you are a future and a hope. They're good, they're not evil. You see, there's a lot of things to be thankful for if we don't get busy complaining about what we don't have. You see, I can, the team's coming back from Uganda tonight. I can tell you they will have story after story after story after story after story that will make your eyes water and run and the waterworks will open of people who really know what it's like to have nothing and yet they have everything because they have Jesus stories of people that man he's like four minutes over today when church service there is the best thing that happens to them all week long, and they stay for hours. And this is true in most of the rest of the world, by the way. You see, we complain. It's too hot, (laughs) it's too cold. It didn't go well for the children of Israel grumbling against God. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Why that verse is important is actually attached to a verse that we looked at a few weeks ago in Malachi chapter 3. That when you are faithful with what God has given you and you don't complain, then he keeps the destroyer from your door. But when you complain about what you do have, then God allows your fridge to blow up, your air conditioning unit to fry, your car to break down, to teach you a lesson. Sometimes people say, I oh, can't, yeah, man, I've had this run and you talk to them. And you see the little history of complaining and whining to God an unthankful heart, an ungrateful heart, and all of a sudden, the things that were good, God says, well, if you want to complain, it can always be worse. I think thankfulness and gratefulness is something that we need to learn to give God irrespective of our circumstance. Just need to be thankful that you've got breath in your lungs. I had a pastor friend we were in Running Springs contracted mesothelioma in the Navy doing pipe fitting handling asbestos loved the Lord pastored the same church for about 25 years he had a dual lung kind of transplant they filled his lungs with Dacron basically the same stuff that you make sails out of on a sailboat and he said to me one day he says you know I just want to preach one more time I just want to be able to teach one more message and he couldn't do it at his own church so we had him over Charles stood up in the pulpit and gave this anointed message. He was home with the Lord less than a month. He was just thankful to have air in his lungs so he could teach. you have that kind of thankfulness in your life? It's a key to abundant life. It's a key to abundant life because that kind of attitude does not need good circumstances. It's actually okay with horrific circumstances because it recognizes at the end of every day God is good. He's good. And he's always good. Even when things are bad. we shouldn't test the Lord we shouldn't see how much we can get away with we shouldn't grumble because God knows how to put you in your place amen he's done it to me he's reminded me of who's God that discontentment that I sometimes can have is attached to ungratefulness at times And so the message in this passage is very simple. Notice how it ends. And now all these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition. You see it? upon whom the ends of the age have come. The Apostle Paul was looking forward to our day and time, to the last days, to the end of the age of grace, to the final group of people, and whether it's us sitting here tonight or whether it's a generation after us, I do not know, but I know this, because I know the signs of his coming. The return of the Lord is near. And I don't say that to bum anyone out. If you're getting married, get married. (laughs) If you're planning a vacation, go on it. But I know this, the time of his return is near. And it gets nearer every day I wake up. So for us, if there was an admonition for the generation right after the Apostle Paul which would have been future to these words then how much more does it apply to us so now read it for yourself now all these things happen to them as examples to me to me they were written for my admonition because I am living at the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn from our past. We need to learn from others' past. We need to not repeat those things. We need to be unwaveringly thankful, unceasingly grateful, and use our lives for his glory. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll pray together? I'm gonna have some of the pastors come forward and be available. And again, maybe you just need prayer because there's an area of your life to where you keep looking back to Egypt. Look, family, I'm I'm your biggest fan and advocate. I point fingers at no one. But if that's you, what does it say? These things are written for your admonition as an example. Don't look back. Look forward. Go forward. Move forward. Have unwavering devotion for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The day draws near that our Lord returns. Maybe you need prayer because you're looking at Egypt. Maybe you need prayer because you have gone back to Egypt. You're not just looking back. You went back. I'm telling you right now, God loves you. But he will not have a divided love or loyalty with you. And so he'll do what he has to do to turn you. And he's turning you tonight. The words that you have heard have been spoken to you that you would flee from Egypt. There might be some of you tonight that that's the case. For some of you, you're just simply not present in the moment in your own walk with the Lord. Maybe you're bored with Christianity. Maybe you've walked with the Lord for a long time and you're kind of like the people who weren't actively sinning, but you really didn't care about the righteousness of God all that much. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you just need to pray for yourself right where you're at. And for some of us, we're we're gonna be like Joshua and Caleb. We're gonna look over. We're gonna get to Kadesh Barnea and we're gonna look in and we're gonna see and we don't care what giants are in the land. I'm sure there's some Joshua's and Caleb's here tonight. For you, I'm thankful. And God is well pleased. So you can pray for others. But make no mistake, these words are true. And they were written as an example to us who live in the last days. Don't miss it. Father, thank you. God, thank you for being kind to me. Thank you for being gracious to me and my family, Lord. Thank you when we were unfaithful, you were faithful. Thank you when we didn't care, you cared for us. Thank you, God, for your love, your care, and your concern. And I pray tonight for those that are struggling with Egyptian things that you'd release them from bondage. God, I pray for that person tonight that's in a relationship and they know they're not supposed to be in it. Lord, it's going nowhere fast. Set them free. I pray for those that are struggling tonight with drugs, alcohol. God, they're, they're bathing themselves in the, the wine of the old covenant. set them free God I, I bless your name for those that tonight can't wait to get to Kadesh Barnea and look in and they're looking for the next mountain to climb they want to be like Caleb how would you show them that mountain show all of us the mountains we're supposed to climb for you Lord we give you our lives We offer them to you as the Apostle Paul would write as living sacrifices and we want to be holy and acceptable. Help us to resist the devil so that he will flee. Help us to put off the old man and all of his deeds and put on the new man. Let us be clothed in righteousness all the days of our lives. We ask every bit of this in the powerful name of Jesus and God's people all said, amen.